Good morning. So wonderful to see all of you in worship today. Glad that you are here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here. We hope that you will come again. Uh, Before I read the scripture, I'd like to just add two personal comments. Uh, The first, hopefully, uh, you heard this week, maybe in the news or on social media, that our own Dr. Jeffrey Redding has been selected at the University of Central Florida to become the director of Choral Activities. This is a big deal. Uh, He's not leaving us, but he is doing a great job there. So... We congratulate Dr. Redding, and we congratulate the University of Central Florida for their wisdom and good taste. (laughs) Secondly, uh, the Bible teaches that in heaven we will all get a crown. I'm convinced there'll be extra stars in the crowns of those who go to church on uh, on the weeks that the time changes for daylight saving. So congratulations to you as well this morning. The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. Receive now the bread of life. Now you are coming to him as to a living stone. Even though this stone was rejected by humans, from God's perspective, it is chosen, valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thus it is written in scriptures, look, I am laying a cornerstone in Zion, chosen, valuable. The person who believes in him will never be shamed. So God honors you who believe. For those who refuse to believe, though the stone the builders tossed aside has become the capstone. This is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Because they refuse to believe in the word, they stumble. Indeed, this is the end to which they were appointed. But you, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As you've already heard, for these 40 days of Lent, our theme is cross-shaped community, 40 days of presence. What does it mean to be a cross-shaped community? 
We mentioned last week that there are many different kinds of community. All of us participate in a variety of communities. Your home, your family is a community. Your neighborhood is a community. Where you work is a community. Where you go to school is a community. The social groups that you're involved in, the interest groups, if you play on a sports team. Uh, tomorrow, Hap Hopkins and I are going to bike week. That's a particular kind of community. We all dress alike in leather. <laughs> community comes in many forms, shapes, and sizes. And we are saying that the particular form and shape of our community is cross-shaped. It's what makes us unique and different than all the other communities I mentioned. Well, to say that we are cross-shaped is another way of saying that the church the community of the church is Christ-centered. That We are a Christ-centered community. Some communities fall under a category that some might call a cult of personality. A cult of personality. Some communities form around a, a particular charismatic, powerful individual that, that people are drawn to. They want to to learn from, they want to be like. I'm particularly thinking of, of politics during this uh, election season. There are Bernie people. There are Biden people. There are Make America Great Again people who are largely, fanatically attracted to their candidate. In just the last several weeks, as, as individuals have been dropping out of the race, the big question in the news is, can this group of people change their loyalty? Can a, a Warren person become a Biden person? Can a, can a Buttigieg person become a Biden person? Because sometimes we become so attached to a particular person that it's hard to shift our loyalties. Of course, it's, it's not just in politics. Lots of famous people athletes, rock stars, um, uh, authors, movie stars attract followings. They have fan clubs. They have followers on social media. They have groupies, people who are fanatical. I remember a number of years ago when the Grateful Dead came to Orlando and this big community called Deadheads who followed them around. Right? Cults of personality. Devotion and group identification with a particular individual. A number of years ago when President Obama took office, I heard about a community in North Florida where there was a billboard at one end of the community proclaiming that Barack Obama was the, the Messiah. And then on the other side of community, the community, I heard there was another billboard proclaiming that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Some communities <laughs> had come together to proclaim either their love and loyalty or their fear and hate, right? Obviously, he's neither the Messiah or the Antichrist. He was just a president that you either like or dislike. But sometimes in community, we become passionate about an individual. So is the church a cult of personality. Obviously, we don't love the word cult. But are we like these other groups? I mean, obviously, we're here for a particular person, Jesus of Nazareth. 
risen, living Lord, the Messiah? Are we a cult of personality? Well, I would argue that we're not for at least two reasons. One is the person that we gather around is not like any of these other individuals that groups gather. But I would also argue this. Often in a cult of personality, the the individuals who are in the group don't necessarily personally know the one they're fanatical about. Maybe they've read about them, seen them on TV, attended an event. Maybe they even got to shake their hand. But oftentimes there is no direct relationship. But we, as a Christ-centered, cross-shaped community, gather around a knowable person. He is a risen, living Lord. Jesus said, whenever two or more gather in my name, I will be there with you. The Bible says that he lives in me, and he lives in you. And one of the challenges of the Christian faith is to see and acknowledge Christ in one another. We exist for one purpose and one purpose only, to gather around the living, risen Jesus Christ, who is the one who draws us together. Our purpose isn't just to preserve a a particular set of rituals or a tradition or or to ascend to a, a certain set of beliefs or to do our religious duty. That's not what draws us. We come here for a person, for Jesus. Jesus once said, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will deceive many people. Jesus was was literally talking about those who would come after him who would claim to be the Messiah and lead people astray. We're not talking about that this morning, but I think that we could still hear Jesus' words in a helpful way. Any time we gather for any purpose other than Jesus, for an ideology, for a dogma, for a tradition, for a building, for a program. If anything takes center place instead of the person of Jesus, we have the danger of becoming something other than a Christ-centered community. We become a tradition-centered community. We become a personality-centered community. We become a dogma-centered community. And at best... We risk the danger of becoming spiritually shallow, but at worst, the much greater risk of becoming exclusive, harmful, judgmental, manipulative, hurtful. Obviously, to be a Christ-centered community involves particular beliefs, particular doctrines, particular practices, particular traditions, a place, a time that we gather, all of that is fine, but we can never forget that all of that is secondary, ancillary, periphery, not central. Jesus is what's central. He is our core. He is our identity. He is our purpose. I think it needs to be said. I I believe 
passionately that we are made for community, that the church is called not to be a place we attend, but the place we belong. As I said last week, I believe with all my heart that God created us for relationship, that we need each other, that as I see Christ in you and you see Christ in me, that we are irresistibly drawn to be the church together. But it ought to be said that there are few communities, institutions in the world that have caused as much pain, harm, and suffering as the church. For too many people, the church has been a place where they've been inflicted wounds, where they've experienced rejection, where they have been shamed, where they felt shut out. We might think, well, they don't come because the young don't go to church anymore, or they don't like our tradition, or they don't believe what we believe, or, or they don't particularly like our new preacher. That might be true. But I would argue the main reason people push away from the church is because they've been pushed away. And I would argue the number one reason that happens is because too many churches have put something, someone at the core, the center, other than Jesus, who would never push away. Dorothy Day once said, the church may be a harlot at times, but she is my mother. We're called to always keep Christ at our core. I have a good friend who's the pastor of a very large United Methodist Church like ours. Oftentimes, he's part of meetings that talk about things like, like church finance or, or the buildings or, or policy. Sometimes he meets with individuals to discuss controversy or something someone's not happy about or the staff is working through a number of issues. And what he found that he needed to do is in each of those meetings, he lights a candle and places it at the center of the table. And he says, this is to remind us that Christ is with us, that we've gathered because of Christ, that the most important thing in our conversation isn't the conflict between us, it isn't the topic at hand, it isn't the finances, it isn't the building, it isn't the program. We're here because of Jesus. You've likely heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've quoted him before. He was a German Lutheran pastor that lived early in the last century, around the time of World War II. He lived in Germany during the time of the Nazi rule and was part of the resistance, seeking to remove Hitler as the leader. As such, he was arrested and put in a concentration camp and killed. Like few others, I think Bonhoeffer understands the centrality of Christ in the church and the Christian community. He says, the more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ. But through Christ, we do have one another holy for eternity. I particularly like the phrase, everything else recedes. When Christ is our focus, everything else 
Reese's. Let's be honest, there's things that attract us to each other, particularly the things we have in common. Also, there's things about others that offend us sometimes, that we just have a hard time liking. What he says is, the more I see Christ in you, and you see Christ in me, the less those things matter. They just seem to fade away. There's a Mennonite pastor by the name of David Augsburger who says, this community of disciples is connected by two powerful attachments. Two powerful attachments. Attachment to Jesus, the living center of the group, and attachment to fellow disciples. This circle around Jesus is a circle connected in solidarity. I love that image. The circle around Jesus is a circle connected in solidarity, oneness, the bonds that connect us. I want you to see that image for just a moment. Imagine Jesus physically standing in here in our midst and us gathering around him in circles, side by side. I'd say hand by hand, but we don't do that during coronavirus. So elbow to elbow. And imagine that every one of us, it doesn't matter if I'm standing by someone who I agree with politically or who annoys me possibly just because I don't like their personality or who thinks we should be worshiping at a different time or a different style or we're voting for different candidates, whatever. It doesn't matter because my attention isn't on that. My attention is Jesus before me. And imagine if we're standing in circles around Jesus Are we going to be stepping back and pushing apart or will we be drawing in? And the closer we draw into Jesus, notice how we get closer and closer to one another. Like spokes on a wagon wheel, the closer you get to the hub, the core, the center of the wheel, the spokes get closer and closer and closer. I like that image. Imagine circle after circle gathered around the person of Jesus. Circles of men and women, young and old, black, white, brown, gay and straight, cisgender and transgender, progressive and conservative, traditional and progressive, political and not political, Republican and Democrat, English speaking, non-English speaking, all people, diversity gathered together around the Lord. He's the one that makes us a community. He's the one that supersedes the things that so often separate us. Circles gathered around Jesus. When I read our scripture reading today, you heard the description of the church. Not the building, not the structure of the church, but but rather us, living stones, being built together to become a spiritual house, a temple of sorts. And it says that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one upon which the whole structure is fit together and built together, but it takes all of us to be the church, to be his people. So it's an image of construction. In ancient times, a A cornerstone was built out of a large square stone that you could begin the project with. Nowadays, we don't use stone so much. We might use concrete blocks. I've done a lot of construction in Central America. And we always begin the project by laying the foundation. And the foundation begins with well-placed block, level, 
secured into place. By the way, they never let the volunteers lay the foundation. <laughs> it always is done by the professionals. Now, the amazing thing is I could take any one of you and teach you how to lay block once the foundation is set. You could do more than you think you could do. But it begins with a solid, strong foundation who is Jesus. Now, there's an interesting thing in this passage. Most translations of 1 Peter 2, verse 7 say, Now to you who believe, this stone, this cornerstone, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is the way most English translations read. And that makes sense. That's consistent through the whole passage, that Jesus is that corner foundation stone. But if you were paying attention, you heard me read from the version we use, the Common English Bible. For those who refuse to believe, though, the stone the builders tossed aside has become the capstone. A cornerstone and a capstone are very different. Both are architecturally necessary and important, but they serve entirely different functions. The cornerstone is part of the foundation, and it is laid first. And when you lay the cornerstone, it determines which way the building will face, where the building will be located. If I lay the cornerstone here, this is where the house will be. If I lay it in this direction, that's the direction the house will face. If I lay it in this direction, this is the direction the house will face. If I place the cornerstone over there, that's where the house will be. The cornerstone says this is where we will be. This is where we'll exist. In future years, they may add extra floors, they may add extra, build, extra rooms, they may widen it, they may lengthen it, but that is where it'll be because the cornerstone determined it. That's the role of cornerstone. A capstone is completely different. A capstone is what is used at the top of a stone arch. It's that wedge-shaped stone that is the last one to be placed that holds the arch together, which in turn holds up the walls. The capstone isn't in the foundation, it's at the top. And it's the one that holds things in place. Remove the capstone, what happens? The structure collapses. Now, I did some work this week. I, I tried to find out what does this Greek word really mean? What's the right translation? I couldn't figure it out. I don't know whether it's supposed to say cornerstone. I don't know whether it's supposed to stay cap say capstone. I like both. Isn't it true that Jesus is the cornerstone? He determines what kind of building we will be, what direction we will face. We're all connected to him. Isn't Jesus the capstone, the one that holds things together securely, that if we remove him, that all things have the potential to collapse? Peter goes on to say, you, he's talking to you, friends, and to me, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into this amazing light. 
the wine so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the wine. Who is that? He's the capstone. He's the cornerstone. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's Jesus, the center of our community. We know that we're a Christ-centered community, and it's most obvious, I think, when we gather here for worship. You walk in, immediately you're immersed in symbolism that points us to Jesus. You sing songs about Jesus. You say prayers about Jesus. You hear scripture read about Jesus, anthems sung about Jesus, sermons preached about Jesus, sacraments that point us to Jesus. It's easy when we come together in this way to remember we are a Christ-centered community, but this isn't all we do. It's important to remember that when we gather for a finance meeting, we are a Christ-centered community. That when we gather to serve in the community, we do that because we're a Christ-centered community. When we gather socially, that we are a Christ-centered community, that clearly Jesus is present when we gather around the altar table. He's likewise present when we gather around a table at Starbucks to drink some coffee and share our lives. There's this great image in the book of Revelation of the throne that is in heaven for all of eternity. And seated on the throne is a slain lamb who is alive, Jesus, of course. And gathered in circles around the throne are all the, the creatures of heaven, the saints who gathered there, angels, archangels, and people from every tribe and nation and race and language all saying together, say it with me, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And you should know the number seven in the book of Revelation means perfection, totality. He is worthy of everything. That is what we do as a community. We gather around the the throne of the risen Lord, and we say he's worthy of all that we are and all that we have. He's the reason for our existence. First Peter 2, 5, you yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You're being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's be honest. You don't have to go to church anymore. You can stay at home and watch a service on TV. You can wait till Monday and see, see a video of the sermon or listen to the podcast. You don't need to come to church to worship Jesus. Sometimes being part of a Christian community is just a hassle. We're even worried that we might make each other sick now. But we need each other. We need each other. We belong to each other. Why? Because of Jesus, the Jesus who lives in you, each and every one of you, and the Jesus who lives in me. He is the reason we exist. Author James Bryan Smith asked the question, can we live the Christian life without a community, a worshiping community? I would answer yes, it's possible. All things are possible with God, but the better question is, why would we even want to try? Let us pray. 
And so, God, for the times that we have hurt people, we are truly sorry. For the times we have excluded people, we are truly sorry. For the times we have failed to welcome people, we are truly, Lord, truly sorry. For the times, the too many times we have tried to put somebody, something else on the throne but you, we are truly sorry. And for all the times this community has taught us love, for all this time, all the times this community has helped us to to support and encourage each other for all the times that this community has taught us about you, Jesus. Oh God, we give you thanks. Lord, help us be the community you call us to be as we center our lives on Jesus. Help us to be Christ-centered in all that we do, all that we say. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.